Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about the history of smartphones. And uh, before we really get into it, I thought we'd probably dive just a bit into our own personal history with smartphones. Lauren, uh, do you own a smartphone? I do, in fact, own a smartphone. Gosh, Lauren, what kind of smartphone do you own? I have an iPhone 4. Okay, so iPhone 4, one of the very popular models out there. I actually have an iPhone 4 as well, though I use mine as an iPod Touch because it's a (laughs) hand-me-down. My wife has an iPhone 5. She loves it. She and Siri have nice long conversations, of which I get to take no part. Aww. Uh, Aww. But I also do have my own legitimate smartphone, legitimate in that it's actually connected to a cellular network because my iPhone is not. Uh, I have an Android phone, HTC G2 to be precise, which was the uh, the successor to the HTC G1. That'll come in handy later. But uh, I, I was a late adopter to the smartphone uh, uh, model. As, and I thought, well, was that by, your first one? By late adopter, yes. Do you mean before 2011? Because... Uh, <laughs> Because that's when I adopted the smartphone. Well, yeah, yeah, and and as we'll see, that was no, that was fairly late, uh, considering when smartphones first started to hit the market. Uh, But then I was also a late adopter to cell phones in general. I was one of those curmudgeons who said, "Why would I need a phone so people could get in touch with me whenever?" That's what answering machines are for. (laughs) Uh, Because get off my lawn. Uh, But I thought we'd talk about the history and also we need to kind of define what a smartphone is in general. um, Because that's changed over time a whole bunch. That's right. These these days I think it's basically defined as um, something that has apps that you can download so that you can change what software is on your phone personally. Yeah, exactly. Very true. And in the past that was, it was more just uh, kind of a combination of a cell phone and PDA at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, some basic features that made it more than just a device that could let you call on the go, but let you send messages in various ways or, or even surf the web. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that we, we, we would think of as a feature phone was originally what we would call a smartphone. Right. Because a feature phone now is pretty much anything that's not a smartphone, <laughs> uh, apart from you know a brick that makes calls. Uh, but to really understand how smartphones evolved, um, well... We started talking about the history of it, and we realized that we kind of had to go a little further back than smartphones or cell phones or telephones. Because what essentially a, a smartphone is, is a, is a telephone that is mobile. Right. Um, and uh, what, what a mobile telephone is, is technically a radio. Yeah. Um, so you go all the way back to, what was it, 1876, that Alexander Graham Bell? Yeah, that's uh, Alex, uh, as I like to call him. Yeah, he, he came up with this idea. He called it the electrical speech machine. And uh, in 1876, and before him, there had been a lot of work in physics for uh, discovering things like the nature of electromagnetism and how that could create certain waves. And mm-hmm. there was a, there had also been development of a thing called uh, the telegraph, which Crazy. was amazing. I know, nuts, right? But you can send messages across distance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you don't have to use a horse or smoke or a horse that's smoking. It's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, the the at this point we're talking about actually transmitting voice over electricity, which was a phenomenal idea. And uh, uh, the nice thing about this is that you're looking at these different disciplines that kind of combined to say, you know, there's probably the potential 
to make a wireless communication system. We've figured out how to do it by wire. We've got this other work that phys- physicists are doing in electromagnetism mm-hmm. and radio waves. I bet that we can figure out this this relationship between electricity, voice, electromagnetism, make it work in some crazy way to transmit voice across great distances without wires. And there are a few people who are thinking of crazy thoughts like that. Uh, Marconi, he was one of them. Kind of big. Yeah, kind of big. Uh, there was the internet darling. Tesla! Yeah, yeah. When you say his name, doves fly out of the internet. Uh, yeah, while he did make some amazing discoveries and was a, a phenomenal physicist in his day, also was a crazy, crazy man. He is his his picture is looking at us from the podcast wall yes. right now. Staring, I want to point out. staring deeply into me and judging me. That might also be why I get a little grouchy with Tesla. Edison also very important during this time. Uh, by the way, that's your cue to boo. <laughs> you cheer Tesla and you boo Edison. That's how the internet works. <laughs> Well, he killed elephants. He did kill elephants. That's true. He used alternating current to shock elephants to death. But we're kind of getting off base. Anyway, at this point, we're talking about radio. So now radio, of course, plays an important part because when you get to the point of cellular telephones, you're really talking about another version of radio communication. So you've got the the development of the telephone and the development of radio all going on at the same time. And then we'll skip ahead a little bit because although there are lots and lots of things we could talk about during this time, ultimately they don't really uh, inform our discussion about the history of the smartphone. I would go all the way to oh 1922. I'm I'm actually not familiar with this uh, with this particular reference that Uh, that Eve's wireless. Eve's wireless. Okay, so there's actually a clip online where you can watch this silent film and I did not know about this until this morning. So don't think that I'm brilliant because I put this in our notes. I just found out about it and I thought it was too cool to pass up because I was looking around and someone jokingly referred to it as the first smartphone. It's a silent film that shows two women walking down the street having a conversation or at least that's what we assume they're doing because we can't hear them. They could be making bird noises for all I know. They come up to a a fire hydrant, and as two women in the early uh, 20th century would do, they stop at the fire hydrant. Clearly, of course. Uh, They wrap a wire around the end of the fire hydrant. Clearly. And the the other end of that wire is hooked up to a radio. And then there's another wire from the radio going to an umbrella, which one of the two ladies opens up and holds up into the air. And then they fiddle with some knobs on the radio that is now (laughs) wired to both the umbrella and And the the fire hydrant. hydrant. And then it it cuts with the magic of cinema to (laughs) a a radio operator who is holding up a, a transmitter to a phonograph. And plays music from the phonograph through the radio transmitter, which the two ladies on the street are apparently listening to. Via the umbrella and yes. Yes, yeah, so this well. was, this was what people were calling the first smartphone. <laughs> because it was using ra- wireless radio technology to transmit. Communications. Exactly. Right. Uh, I like to think of it as the first iPod commercial. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, that's why I put that in there because someone jokingly referred to it as the first smartphone, which really, it only had one-way communication. You could only receive. There was not a transmitter. Right. They didn't have a microphone right. hooked up to it. Exactly. Clearly so, that was going to be in the sequel. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, it was a, a Eve's witness to the reckoning. Um, 
Electric Boogaloo. Did yes. not yet. <laughs> did not do well at the box office, sadly. But that's why I had to put that in there, just because the clip is online, and I'll share a, a clip of that in our Facebook page so you guys can get a look at it, because it's it's entertaining. It sounds spectacular. If this were not audio, then I would want to play it right now. Yeah. Uh, no, but but we we had some actual mobile call technology going on by the 1940s. Is yep, that correct? That's correct. 1946, you got AT&T and Bell Labs. Now, Bell Labs is a, the research and development arm of AT&T. Correct. And Bell Labs, very much known for developments in wireless communication as well as just communication technology in general. So in the 1940s, they developed the first wireless network. And that's kind of being generous. <laughs> uh, what was it? What was it like back in 1946? So imagine that you are in a big metropolis. Okay. And your big metropolis has a wireless network that consists of a single tower with a transmitter on it, and that transmitter is capable of handling oh maybe a dozen channels of communication. So that's all it could handle at one time. So in other words, sure. even if you had a lot of people, yeah, with the handsets. You could have 12 of them actually yeah, operating right. simultaneously. Or, or maybe even just six, because I don't know if it was two ways. Oh, if it was two ways, then, yeah. <laughs> but I honestly don't know, because I, I didn't have enough information there. But but the, the first wireless call was made by a truck driver, showing that even back in the 1940s, we were not practicing safe driving techniques. <laughs> and it, it was a handset, like a, like a rotary phone handset. I, you know what a rotary phone is, Lauren? I remember rotary phones from when I was about three. Yeah, Lauren's a little younger than I am. So so the rotary phone handle, it's this giant handle, right? And it's got like a cord that goes down to the, the base unit of this wireless telephone. And and how, how large was the base unit of a wireless telephone? Well, I don't have the specific dimensions, but I can tell you it weighed 80 pounds. And for our friends who use the... The metric system is 36.3 kilograms, so not exactly fit in your pocket mobile. <laughs> not so much something that you want to want to take around with you, I'm, you know. I mean, I'm pretty on sure vacations. And yeah. I, I assume its camera was really crappy. Yeah, no, but... terrible. Yeah, yeah, a zero megapixel camera, <laughs> right? Yeah, the only app it could it could run is call this person, and that's only if you dialed it. Um, yeah, no, 80 pounds. Yeah, if Steve Jobs had come out in 2007 and unveiled the iPhone and it weighed 80 pounds, I doubt it would have done quite so well on the market. Yeah, not so much. But, not uh, for those purposes. Yeah, and it cost uh, $15 a month to have the service, which if you were to do uh, an inflation calculator, as I did, uh, which had the latest year as 2011, that's the, the, the most recent figure I right. can get. Sure. Uh, but in 2011 dollars, the $15 a month would be $138 a month, which, which actually, actually is about, so bad. yeah, that I would take that today. Yeah. That's actually lower than what I'm paying. Although, although I suppose that, yeah, that, that, that 80 pounds of lugging equipment around is maybe, I mean, well, I would also in. be in better shape. <laughs> I wouldn't need to download any physical fitness apps to my phone because just carrying the phone would be physical fitness. Maybe, maybe we need to bring back the 80 pound phones. Maybe. maybe Maybe if, this is this will solve the obesity crisis. If, if any, terrific. if any of our listeners out there launch a company where you market an eighty-pound smartphone, we demand at least some sort of residuals <laughs> because we ain't getting rich from podcasting, folks. Also, a prototype. Send one over. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so moving on, we get to nineteen forty-seven. Yeah. Now, this is where 
we start seeing companies look into developing cellular networks. So going beyond that single transmitter model I was just talking about, now we're looking at building the foundation that would allow people to make cell calls. Right. And by cellular, of course, we mean um, uh, a telephone that can go through a network of towers and keep the signal. Exactly. Yes, because that's a that would be an issue. If you were to move outside the broadcast range of a transmitter and a receiver, then you would drop your call. So if you have a a network of these transmitters and receivers, then theoretically you could move from one to the other and you'd be fine, but you'd have to figure out how to... to Coordinate. Yeah, you've got to build the architecture. Yes. So that the phone, when it moves from one to the other, gets handed off from one tower to another tower or communication ceases. This is not... A trivial problem, <laughs> and it will take many no, decades huge. of work, and and lots of inf- infrastructure goes into it, yeah. and uh, yeah, and um, so so even though we technically had the capacity to make these calls, to make these mobile calls back mm-hmm. in the 1940s, we would not have the infrastructure to do so. I mean, I mean, I, I guess it started in 1947, but right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Even today, I mean, certain parts of Atlanta we drive through, and I'm yeah, just like, you, mm. get, you get hit that dead section. There's yeah. a section on a uh, okay, and I apologize to all the people who are going to hear the pronunciation of this street, but this is how we. Say it in Atlanta. Ponce de Leon. When you go down Ponce de Leon, it's a true Avenue, fact, folks. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's not Ponce de Leon, which is what how my wife pronounces it. Being from Philadelphia, she refuses to oh, say I'm from Ponce Florida. de Florida. Yeah, they can't. Oh, I, yeah. I'm a little bit physically incapable of saying it. I, after after about eight years, I worked yeah. it out. It's it's tough, but yeah, there are certain dead sections. Clearly, we still have to keep building those networks out if we want to have universal coverage across the United States. Um, that sounds weird. Universal coverage across the United States. <laughs> universal. If it's universal, doesn't it make it international? <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, so yeah, we're, we're talking decades of work to build out these cellular uh, networks, which at the at that time, you know, no one was using because there was there wasn't enough they of the networks. Right. Right. It was so physically impossible to. Kind of crazy. Yeah, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't in fact until the 1970s that they managed to pull off that first cellular call. Wasn't uh, it? Yeah, Martin Cooper. Okay, so this is a great, <laughs> great story. Martin Cooper, an executive with Motorola. All right. Mm-hmm. So you're, you imagine this. You head up a research and development facility within Motorola. Sure. Okay. You know that you have. Uh, uh, peers in the industry who are working on cellular networks at the same time that your group is working on them. Yes. The big one being Bell Labs of AT&T. Uh-huh. You and your team manage to make a cellular network and a phone that will work on that network, and you can make a call to anyone. Who is the first person you call? Uh, my mom. I'm not sure. Oh, well, Martin <laughs> Cooper decided to call... The head of the research and development team over at Bell Laboratories because the very first cell phone call was a crank call. That is amazing. Isn't that phenomenal? How many more cell phone calls would follow did, in that wake? Did, did he ask if his refrigerator was running? He asked I, if they had Prince Albert in a can. Oh, my goodness. Actually, I don't think he did any that, of that. But, uh, but yes, the, famously, he very cheekily made a phone call to the – to an executive over at Bell Labs, which was kind of tweaking their nose at the same time as mm-hmm. having this historic moment. Now, that phone was also a little a little clunky. It was not 80 pounds, but it was about 1.75 pounds, which is around 0.8 kilograms. And it had a cute nickname, the Brick, <laughs> which, you know, obviously, if, if I saw a phone marketed as the Brick, I'm just thinking, boy, i got to get my hands on that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The iBrick. That yeah. sounds... Yeah. <laughs> Can I get the lead weight, too? That would be awesome. 
So, uh, but this this obviously showed a shift in telephone technology. It would still be quite a few years before cell phones became a common thing in the consumer market, but Certainly. we started to see them get uh, adopted for, for advanced users, for business users, yep. probably. Yep. Uh, we uh, also the those first adopters, those early adopters who like to be on the bleeding edge of technology before it's even proven. They mm-hmm. would go out and get one. They were really expensive. They were not very um, uh, practical. Right. But this was the beginning of that that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, the next thing I have here is 1974. <laughs> and uh, ladies and gentlemen of Greek ancestry, I would like to apologize <laughs> profusely for what I am about to attempt. Because 1974 was when Theodore, George, and here we go, Periskovakos... That's my best guess. Yeah, Periskovakos. Uh, it's a Greek name, so obviously I probably have butchered it. Uh, but he patented a concept. Uh, he actually he submitted the patent in 1972, but in 74 he was granted the patent for a concept for what would be a an early smartphone. Now, it wasn't called that at the time. Of course. Uh, it was called an apparatus for generating and transmitting digital information. Smartphone is catchier. I see. Yeah. I see why that one stuck. Although I would say, Lauren, uh, you you're familiar somewhat with the the realm of the steampunk. A little bit. I would think that steampunk fans, what they really need to do is just go through and look at patent titles. Yes. Because every patent title is really more of a description of what the device does. And if you've ever seen anyone who creates steampunk gadgets, that's almost always what they name their stuff. It's not a simple name. It's a a descriptor. It's as many words as you can possibly fit into a single phrase without losing your breath and falling over. Yeah, and the word ether has to be in there somewhere. Well, clearly. Yeah, I mean, obviously. It's the most important part. Also, don't forget your goggles. Uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so, so, so in in seventy four, um, um, our friend, our friend Teddy. Um, yeah, I like that. Yes, Teddy uh, put in this patent um, and then proceeded to do absolutely nothing with it. Is that correct? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it kind of just sort of languished because while the concept was there, uh, the technology wasn't really up to task to uh, fulfilling on that promise because the idea was to have this handheld device that could transmit digital information. Uh, at the time in the, in the, in 74, a handheld device would not really be able to do that efficiently. And we're talking right. about. I mean, we, we were in, in 1974. I'm, I'm, again, you would be more familiar with this because you are ancient. Um, but I was not born in 74. Thank you. You'd um, have to wait a year. <laughs> but yes, yes. Hand, handheld devices at the time could, could do not very much. They could do much. calculating. That- <laughs> You could have a yeah, yeah. We had some, we had some, we had some really good uh, graphics calculators first yeah. starting to around the around the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Hewitt Packard had some some calculators and IBM a few as well. But they were more the size of our laptops than <laughs> they were closer to that than a than a, a slider phone, definitely. And in nineteen seventy four, you're also talking about this is this is right at the very bleeding edge of the personal computer era. Right. So a smartphone, which in a way is like a a a, a distant cousin of the PC that fits in your hand, clearly it would be unreasonable to think of something like that existing in 74 when the actual PC still... Itself was not, yeah, not so really, much a thing. Not really a thing yet. Yeah. You'd have to wait another couple of years for those to become a thing. But so when when did when did um, 
I mean, because one of the ancestors of smartphones had to have been uh, PDAs. Yes, personal uh, digital assistants. Which which came onto the scene in the early 80s, is that correct? Yep, 1984. So there's this company called Scion, and that's going to become important in a little bit, too. Scion created this device called the Organizer. Now, the first Organizer was more of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. It was part calculator, part database manager, or part, part like digital note taker. Okay. So imagine that you have a... Uh, a a watch that also lets you type stuff in it, but you can't do anything else with the stuff. So you can make... like It just sits in the watch forever. Yeah, right. Yeah, you could delete it eventually. I think they had to use... I Actually, I don't think it's this one, but there is one PDA I read about where the only way to, to reformat it was to uh, bathe it in ultraviolet radiation. <laughs> Which, of course, I mean, I, I have one of those devices at home. So. Well, clearly. Yeah. I- the dogs love it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> They hate it. So, uh, yeah, the uh, the organizer, all it was was a clock and this a, a way of taking notes. But you couldn't you couldn't organize it in any other way, really. Uh, it was like you could put I could put down your name and your phone number, sure. And then under on the next line under, I might put eggs, milk, bread, you know, etc. <laughs> and then on the next line down, I might say, uh, you know, write down what a, a person's address. And there's sure. there's no rhyme or reason. Yet. Sure. There wasn't. There was no um, particular operating system right. involved but in this one. Just two years later, they introduced the Organizer Two, and that one was really the very first PDA. It had a lot more features. It actually had allowed you to organize stuff into different categories, mm-hmm. and it it laid the groundwork for what the PDA would be over the next, really, the next decade and a half. PDAs. I mean, they technically still exist, but mostly they've been co-opted by smartphones. Right. It's one of those many things that we have replaced in our pockets with a single, right? Single we, device. We went from so we went from seventy four to eighty four. What's our next jump? I think our next jump is all the way to ninety four. Yeah, we'd like to take these in decades, people. <laughs> um, and that was that was when that was the first time that that a PDA and a cell phone really got got kind of smooshed together. Right. Yeah. So uh, what IBM did it was IBM. Uh, IBM took a PDA and they took a cell phone. They put them in a room together and put on some Barry White music. <laughs> and about nine months later, the Simon Personal Communicator came out, and that's how smartphones are born. Actually, that's uh, mostly a lie. But no, they did they did come up with a product called the Simon Personal Communicator, and yeah, it was part cell phone, part PDA. So in a way, it's the uh, kind of like the great-grandfather of smartphones. And it could, it could send facsimiles, is that correct? Yeah, it yes. could. And it could send faxes. Very, what, wasn't that one of the first messages that it sent, I believe, um, yeah. uh, during one of their, their stage shows? They sent a fax from one end of the stage to the other, and were like, check us out, yo. Yeah, which is, uh, at that time, that oh, was pretty sh- exciting. Certainly. And, you know, it's it's hard for us to remember now, but for all remember all those uh, you know all those hoax emails or jokes you would get uh, in email, and then later on you would start getting them on things like Facebook. Uh, my very dear grandmother still still uses email to send them. Yeah, so you get those forwards back in the day, which was a Thursday. Remember, <laughs> uh, we used to send those via fax. <laughs> They're called fax lore. Fax lore is a type of folklore where uh, the same sort of hoaxes and jokes would get passed around on facts as they do today on email or through social networks. Mm-hmm. And so very important to allow people to pass on that message that Bill Gates will give them lots of money <laughs> if they forward this message on, which is not true. <laughs> um, Critical, but, uh, but yeah, and it was, it was, um, 
I mean, re- relatively tremendously expensive at the time, wasn't yeah. it? The, yeah. the Simon. Um, it was. It, it cost. It cost a thousand ninety nine dollars by itself, right. or eight hundred ninety nine with a contract. Yeah. Because even then, even then, didn't weren't they working with Bell South? I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they had teamed up with Bell South to do this. Who who wasn't entirely sure about this whole cell phone thing quite at, at that moment, or, or the the smartphone. Right. Thing. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a big risk at that time, and even at that price, they still sold. They still sold quite a few uh, uh, products. Now, granted, the, again, these were going to very, you know, s- a very specialized market because not everyone could afford a. Well, in today's dollars, it'd be nearly uh, more than sixteen hundred dollars for a phone. Mm-hmm. Sixteen hundred dollars for a phone. For a phone. Yeah, but if you, which is twice what I would pay for any normal <laughs> phone <out of> contract. <laughs> <Easy>. that- <laughs> now, and of course, I guess we should take this moment to also acknowledge the fact to all of our listeners overseas who are used to buying your phones without any subsidies from your uh, cell phone carrier. We totally understand that you bu- you pay more per phone than we do. But we're coming at it from the perspective of people in the United States who sign away two years of our lives in order to be able to buy a phone for about $400 cheaper than what it would go for otherwise. We, we have to make a blood oath, but it only costs about $200 to yeah. get a phone, and somehow it works out. Yeah, there's, there's usually some sort of weird ceremony involved, but you guys over there don't need to know all about that. We don't want to give away all our secrets. <laughs> but so, but so the Simon, the Simon personal communicator really, I kind of didn't do well. I don't think. No, um, it, it sold, was, it was it only, sold a few thousand, but mm-hmm. you know, it was like a, it was, it was enough like a, a niche prototype. market, and it was, it was kind of a prototype. And and again, the infrastructure was not prepared to handle something like that. There weren't that many places that you could use it. Yeah, and yeah. and for for something that was based on a concept of you can use this anywhere, that wasn't really. Yeah. It was it was, was ninety four, and so I think it was off the market by ninety five. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was definitely one of, more of a proof of concept. It, that's how it turned out. It turned right. out to be more of a proof of concept than it turned out to be a useful product on its own, because of those very things you say. Because, yeah, I mean, if if your whole thing is this is mobile, then you better be able to use it. Mobily. Yeah. <laughs> apart from like, it's mobile as long as you stay within this four square foot area <laughs> of this part of the office that's adjacent to this giant window. <laughs> that's not terribly useful. No, no, um, but uh, but but very soon after that, uh, in '96, Palm started. Yeah, Palm, man, boy, what a! And we've done a an episode about Palm, a couple of episodes about Palm, and including its relationship with other companies. But in '96, that's when it started to really make a name for itself in the personal digital assistant. Uh, uh, market and they released the Pilot 1000 and Pilot 5000, and people who owned Palm PDAs are some of the most passionate technology lovers I know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, I know people who still will talk about either their PDA or their Palm smartphones. Like the tr- the trio owners are like, well, they're like Amiga owners. <laughs> And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that they are really passionate about that product. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And it's it's easy to see why. I mean, it was it was very exciting at the time. The the level of functionality that they were getting out yeah. of out of uh, uh, a thing that you could put in your pocket and carry around with you and have have access to um, uh, all sorts of stuff, man. I mean, you could have all your calendar in there. You could have files. You could even run apps on these things. It was it was a a small, portable, very limited computer. Yes. You go just another year, and then you know, there's this company that pops up in 97 called HTC. Now, I'm going to tell you a story here, Lauren. <laughs> you guys out there, you can listen in if you like. 
HTC. I had never heard of HTC because I, I was not into smartphones at all right. uh, until I got until my first Android phone. 2009. Right. So I didn't – that's actually right. It came out in 2008, but I didn't buy mine until 2009. So that's really remarkable that you knew that. <laughs> that Lauren's been stalking me, I've, y'all. Anyway um, – I've been listening to your other podcasts. You've talked about this before, Jonathan. Fair enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> HTC, I had never heard of them. I, I didn't realize that they had uh, – they had – were first founded in 1997. And in fact, they've had a much longer association with smartphones than I was aware. When I saw the G1, I naively thought, oh, this must be like one of their first products because I've Uh never heard of them before. No, that was due to my (laughs) ignorance, not due to HTC's uh, uh, success or lack thereof in uh, in the market. In fact, we'll talk a little bit about some of their other products in in a bit. So yeah, HTC pops up on the scene and they become a big name, uh, although not they don't always have a smooth sailing kind of relationship with the market either. HTC's right. been having some issues over the last couple of years, in fact. Uh, most most technology companies, I think, are doing a tiny bit of that here and there. Yeah, but, uh, and you found out the first use of the term of, smartphone. Of the term smartphone, yes. Um, that also happened in 1997. Um, it was attached to one of Ericsson's phones um, called uh, the uh, GS88. Uh, A.K.A. the Penelope. Um, oh, it's not Penelope. <laughs> not, not Penelope. Oh, man, I've been saying it wrong all these years. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this was this was basically a concept model. I think only about two hundred were ever produced. But um, but yes, that was the first marketing package that had the words "smart" and "phone" in conjunction. There was a space between them, so clearly there was a lot of work to be done in yeah. the marketing field. Deleting that space would take two years. <laughs> Two years of hard work. You thought building that cellular network was tough. Mm. Space is big, yo. Getting rid of it, tough. Moving on. But yeah, yeah, and and, and this is this is where um, the, the rest of our outline is extremely crunched together. It's it's. I, I drew a little picture and had to start start making bendy lines going all over the place. Well, yeah, because up to now we've been jumping like we were doing. We were doing you know, 50 year jumps for a while, then mm-hmm. we got down to 10 year jumps. Now we're doing like two, and pretty soon we've got a whole bunch of stuff happening year by year. Year by year, month by month. So, Lauren, it turns out we had a lot to say about the history of smartphones. We talk a lot. Yeah, so it turned out to be so long that we're doing something that <laughs> it's not unusual for tech stuff. We're splitting it into two episodes. So, we're going to leave off here, but we'll pick up in our next episode right where we left off. If you guys have topics you would like us to tackle on tech stuff, Email us. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 